Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles out if you would and turn to chapter 2 of Luke as we continue in that birth announcement as it continues. You know, almost every culture has some type of ceremony or social structures that help them commemorate special occasions and also serve to signify their beliefs, their customs, and worldview. We, we all do some types of things like that. And many times with the birth of a child, we have things that we do that have been passed down and have meaning for us. Today, we're going to look at one of those in the time of Christ. Now, last week, as we were continuing through our study in Luke chapter 2, we read of the positive reactions to the birth announcement that the Messiah was born. The shepherds, as we read, followed the angelic descriptions of how to find the baby. They spread the news that the Savior had entered the world and that he was God himself, God in the flesh. This was great news that you and I are commanded to share with the world even today. This week, as we continue in Luke chapter 2, 21 through 24, Luke is going to continue that narrative by moving the scene from Bethlehem back to Jerusalem and to the temple where the baby is presented before the priest, as well as in later as we go through the narrative, two special people give testimony to the impact that that child will have on not only Israel, but also the world at large. And we're going to read several special customs that are not very familiar to us. And that is the circumcision, the naming of the child, the presentation of Jesus, as well as the purification of Mary. So in Luke chapter 2, 21 through 24, it's going to be here on the monitors, but again, I encourage you to, to follow along in your Bible. It says, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, speaking of the baby Jesus, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Father, we thank you for this portion of scripture. Again, it's it's one that's very far removed from us and our customs and times and things in which we do and celebrate the birth of a young one. But yet it's here. It's your revealed word. These words here are truth. They're inspired by God. And they too are good for, uh, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, training, and righteousness. So let us do that... Uh, uh, enjoyable, but sometimes difficult work of trying to observe and interpret and apply this portion of scripture to our lives. May your spirit have free reign. Let me speak words that are building and up fine and then point to Christ above all things. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as you and I come to this passage, Luke moves from that, that familiar nativity scene that we think of Bethlehem, that we, you know, the, the, the just shepherds and the, the lamb and the, the cattle and, and Jesus in the, in the, in the little manger. And he's moving to the temple of Jerusalem. So it, we come from humble beginnings there at that home now to the prestige and the beauty of that temple. 
But as we've noted before, in Luke's account of Jesus' birth, it does not record the visit of the wise men. As we go through here, you're going to see all of a sudden, that doesn't even come to play. And as you might remember, the, the, the wise men were not at the nativity scene anyway. I know I'm redundant in this. They actually came when Jesus was two years of age, and Joseph and Mary were still living in Bethlehem two years after, or around two years after Jesus' birth. But it also doesn't record their flight to Jerusalem where Herod comes and threatens and does kill the children. So it doesn't cover that point. And we'll look at that here in, in about a week or so. But what we do see is something that is missing from the Christmas story in, in almost every production given of the nativity scene. I was telling Don, Don and I were talking last night, our children's Christmas program is probably going to be different this year. I think so. But here's what is missing in most Christmas nativity scenes, and that is the circumcision, probably for good reasons. The naming of Christ, giving him his name, the, that, and I think that's very important because, and maybe we have done that in the past, I, I, I don't know, but the point of the, the fulfillment of what the angel said, but also what's missing is the purification of Mary and the presenting of Jesus to the priest in the temple 40 days after he was born. We include the wise men who were two years after, but we neglect this important part of the story found in Luke that happens just 40 days after. Now, this account of the circumcision and the presentation of the infant Jesus in the temple, it underscores, this is why it's important, it underscores the piety and the faithfulness of Jesus' family, Mary and Joseph. It shows their faithfulness to God and their desire to keep the law. For those familiar with the Old Testament, it also is going to serve to remind us of Hannah's presentation of her son Samuel to the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 1. But first, as we covered very quickly last week, I want to go back and look at Mary and Joseph as they circumcise the baby Jesus. Now, this is following the command to circumcise their baby boy. At that day, that was something that was just done to the Jewish male children. I know today it is something that's a little bit more widespread, but in that day, it was a command that was first given hundreds of years or thousands of years before in Genesis chapter 17, Verse 12, there God, Yahweh, had told Moses, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner uh, who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting Covenant. Now, you might remember also that was a, a bone of contention, so to speak, with uh, Moses and his wife Zipporah. Uh, she she was almost killed because she did not want to circumcise uh, Moses' first son. Now, this was codified in the law of Moses in Leviticus when we studied Leviticus uh, chapter 12 when God commands, and on the eighth day, the flesh of the foreskin shall be circumcised, speaking of the child. Secondly, we now see their faithfulness in the purification of Mary in the presentation of Jesus at the temple. Now, over this time, this event has become to known as the Feast of the Presentation. And, and I don't know where you come. Many, I know we do have some that come from Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodox. We know we have some that have come from Catholicism and maybe some from other backgrounds. But what we find is that this Feast of Presentation, even though it's not found in nativity scenes, 
around the world and in productions, it is something that is actually still celebrated today. It is something that began in the 4th century in Jerusalem. So in the 300 AD, it began to be something that people celebrated. It is known as Candle Mass. By the way, has anyone ever heard of that that phrase, Candle Mass? Candle Mass. Instead of uh, Christmas, it's Candle Mass. And what's interesting, it's a Christian holiday that commemorates the presentation of Jesus at the temple. And it's based on this passage of scripture and also as well Leviticus 12, where a woman was to be purified by presenting a lamb as a burnt offering and either a young pigeon or a turtle dove 33 days after their boy was circumcised. Now, what is interesting is that that date always falls on February 2nd. So around the world, people are celebrating Candle Mass today. Now, I did not plan that, but here we are, February 2nd, talking about something that's been celebrated since the 4th century. And to be honest, because I'm a, you know, an, a, you know, an independent Baptist, non-denominational, I had never heard of these things. I didn't even realize that it was part of what we call Epiphany, the days of Christmas, the, the, uh, I think then in January is the coming of the wise men. But for most of the world, Christmas does not end until February 2nd, which would make my wife, I shouldn't tell this, but my but for my wife, does they do not take down Christmas decorations until February 2nd. We take ours down on Christmas day at 10 in the morning. So <laughs> that's just me though. That's take it down mass. That's what ours is. Now, providentially, we find ourselves in that passage today. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church still celebrates it. And, and, and this is interesting. I talked to several people from Mexico, but they don't, they didn't re- recognize it as well. But in Mexico, it's celebrated on February 2nd. And my wife would make, would love this, is that it's actually done with kids being dressed up and serving of tamales. So, we ought to just show up, and we ought to show up and just go to people's house and say, Kadamas. Tamales? I don't know. But it's an important Mexican tradition. Now, Mary and Joseph traveled about six miles from Bethlehem, Jerusalem. And and when you see scripture, it always says they went up to Jerusalem, even if they were in Nazareth, which is going down to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was on a mountain. So I don't know if you ever see that in scripture, but it's always, let's go up to Jerusalem. That's not talking about a geographic, but it's just talking because up, it's Jerusalem, it's a temple, it's on a mount, it's something you went up to because that's where God was. So they go up to Jerusalem about six miles in order to fulfill this requirement that's found in the law of Moses. And this portion of scripture serves to emphasize the Jewish character of Jesus' birth. And it points that even in birth, Jesus fulfills the law. You and I need to remember, I know that there is this movement to take the Old Testament and I'm going to use their word, unhitch it from the New Testament. And for you and I, that's something that's easily done because you and I, we're not Jewish. We don't understand a lot of Jewish customs and they sound weird and strange to us. However, the Old Testament helps us understand very much. And so when you and I read Luke 2, 21 through 24, if you're like me, you've probably read this passage many times, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't really strike you as anything other than here's some information. But think about this of all the things that happened in the birth of Christ, Luke felt this very important through the Holy Spirit to put this in his orderly account written to Gentile readers, not to Jewish. So Matthew's gospel 
It contains many things about Jesus, right? There's only two gospels that tell us about Jesus' birth here on earth, Matthew and Luke. Uh, Mark skips it. John goes us all the way to the beginning, right? To, 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 well, before, there is no beginning with, with the word. The word was in the beginning. The word was with God and was worth, I, I'm going to mess it up. Let's go on. What was I talking about? See, I do this all the time. But you and I miss the Jewish nature of it, and we miss uh, something important is happening in this passage of Scripture. So please, before you start thinking circumcision, naming, and purification, and presentation, don't let your mind wander. This this is important, and I hope to make the connection. Because it serves to reflect not only the, the law and how Jesus fulfilled the law, and this is exciting, I can't wait to get to it, but it also serves to reflect the character of the parents, they are righteous. In Matthew, Joseph is called righteous and faithful, as well as in uh, Luke, he describes Mary as someone who is favored with God. But we see they are faithfully obedient to the commands of the Mosaic law. But also what they're doing, especially with the naming of Jesus and naming his, their child Jesus, it's showing their acceptance of God's promise that their child, now listen to this, that their child will be the messianic king who will bring God's reign and blessing. They know they have something unique here in the baby Jesus. This is not no ordinary first son. And so it shows, even as they come to present uh, Jesus, now you can kind of think of Lion King there holding the little thing. They're presenting Jesus here as the king. He's the Messiah. They're giving back to the Lord. And so what we see here is a beautiful a word picture of what God is trying to share with us of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So now with that, I want us to take some time to understand why Luke includes this oft-neglected scene in the Christmas story. This is inspired by God. Now, as we mentioned previously, as you look here on the monitor, Jesus is reared in conformity with the Old Testament law. We see that they named their baby Jesus. You see the scripture there. On the eighth day, he is circumcised according to the scriptures. For they are unclean for 33 days. And that we find that we'll talk a little bit more about that in Leviticus. Then we also see that 40 days later, the mother comes and she offers either a lamb for uh, for a sin or two doves and pigeons. And then we see the first son is presented to the Lord with an offering, as you can see there in Numbers 18 and Exodus 13. And so as we look at that, we see that there's something important going on in these four events. So as we go on, I want to look at the purposes of each and every one of the four major events. There's, there's more than four there, but I'm going to put them in four events. And that first is the purpose of the naming. What is the purpose of naming the baby Jesus? Well, it demonstrates both their obedience and their trust in the Lord's calling and purpose and plan for their child. Remember, the angel Gabriel had instructed both Joseph and Mary that they were to name the baby Jesus before he was born. The reason for this command is that his name is going to reveal the reason for his birth. Name his name Jesus. He will save his people from his sin, from their sins. You might recall from our first passage as we go through this is Jesus is a derivative of the Jewish name Joshua, where we get named Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. Now, that was a popular name for Jewish boys even at that time. Yet it still serves to inform the people 
of his intention later as Jesus would teach and perform miracles. To them, the name meant something. To us, we have names and you know it. Anyone ever gone and bought something or looked through a book and said, what does my name mean? You ever done that? But then you go to another book and it means something totally different. Well, in that culture, the names actually meant something. So when they would say the name Jesus, they that would go back to that term, he saves his people from their sin. And so when we see that, that name Jesus is more than just a moniker, just some name that they can give them so they can say, Jesus, come here. Jesus, go there. Now, this is something that would remind them of his calling, his purpose, and God's plan for him. It serves to remind us from the very beginning of his calling, plan, and purpose was to seek and to save the lost. And as Jesus says, to give his life as a ransom for many. So as we see here, the naming of Jesus is important. It shows their faithful obedience to, the, to God's plan and purpose, their acceptance of it. Waiting eight days for the circumcision to name their child now is not a command of Scripture. But it seems to have become a tradition as Luke records the same procedure for John the Baptist. They did not name him until the circumcision. And from what I could understand from the, the, the look I did or from the uh, study I did this week is that still given today in most Jewish cultures is they wait eight days to name a child. Now, that was the purpose of the naming. It shows their faithfulness, their trust in what God has planned for their child. But when we come to the circumcision, why would he want to share that? Well, the purpose of the circumcision is to demonstrate the old, to demonstrate the old covenant that God had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Remember, this is written for Gentile readers, not Jewish. That's what I was going back when we were talking about Matthew. Luke is recording something that you and I at first would say, what does this have to do with us? Why wouldn't you include that in with Matthews to the Jewish readers? Why would Gentiles readers even be concerned with this? We wouldn't even understand this whole thing. Well, Luke, through the Holy Spirit, is giving us an orderly account to bring us back to the Old Testament. And I'll share with you a little bit how that works. Every male was to be circumcised as a sign and a symbol of God's covenant with his people. So that's what the circumcision, that's what was the purpose. It gave them indication or identification. Oh, you are a jewel, a Jew. You were either one of the circumcised or they, or the rest of the Gentile population was those of the uncircumcised. To be of, of the uncircumcised would be someone who is outside of God's covenant. And so for a Jew not to be circumcised would be a, a, a dangerous sin because it puts them outside of God's covenant law. It serves to point also not only to their identification as a Jew, as a child of God, one of God's chosen one, but it also served to point to the need for the cleansing of sin. It was a sign that something needed to be cut off. Scripture points this out when it informs us that you and I need to circumcise our hearts. Because he would go on further in the revelation of Scripture, says circumcision in the flesh is nothing. You need to be circumcised in the heart. Our hearts need to be cleansed. This physical symbol served to point to the need of a spiritual cleansing to cut away, if you will, of the sin that resides in all of us. For all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. 
This ritual was a sign and a symbol for the Hebrew children to remind them and for them to contemplate their sinfulness and their need to cut off sin and to cleanse themselves from the filth that sin leaves in its wake. But one might ask, but why did Jesus have to be physically circumcised? Was he not born without sin, the son of God? Why would they circumcise this boy? Well, the answer would be yes, he was born without sin. The apostle Paul uh, and Peter confirmed this in their writings as you come to the monitor. He says here in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. First Peter is here, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus had no need to be circumcised for the cutting off of sin or to be in a covenant with God. He was God himself, but yet he still went through this symbol and sign to show what all men are guilty of and needing in. In this case, why did he have to be circumcised? The answer really is very simple. Because that is what the law of God required. It's what the law of God required. In Galatians 4, 4, we read this. But when the fullness of time had come, and the time had come, even 40 days or 40 days earlier, the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were in the law, so that he might receive us as adoption as sons. Jesus himself proclaimed in Matthew 5, 17, He said to the Pharisees and those who were listening to him, as they would accuse him of being a lawbreaker, he would say, listen to this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. For I truly say under heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one iota, not a dot will pass before until all the law is accomplished. So Jesus in his circumcision is doing what the law required, even though he was innocent. Even as his circumcision was part of the calling and plan and the purpose for Jesus. And his parents demonstrate their obedience and trust in doing so eight days after his birth. So now let's go into the purpose of the purification. This is probably where you and I might try to say, okay, we we understand the naming and the circumcision, but what's this purification about? Well, what this demonstrates is Mary's obedience to the law and a right understanding that even herself, even though she was favored of God, favored by Yahweh, she needed to be cleansed from her impurities. Now, this probably doesn't get a lot of attention in nativity plays, uh, nativity plays because it's, it's just kind of personal, right? But it also, many do not understand the importance this ritual is playing in the life of a Hebrew woman. The command for Mary to follow through on this procedure is found in Leviticus chapter 12. If you want to turn there real quickly, we'll look at a couple passages there. And you can just glance through it in Leviticus chapter 12. We see the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if a woman conceives and she bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. 
It goes on to state in verse 4 of Leviticus 12 that then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. So even in birth, she becomes unholy, unclean. Think of the leopard who would walk around saying, unclean, unclean. They could not come into the camp. They could not come into the cities. They could not come to the temple to worship their God. They could not come and give a sacrifice. They could not approach a holy God. Now, this may seem harsh to you and I, but after a woman gave birth, she was unholy, unclean. She was outside. She could not go to the temple. She could not join her family at the table for Passover. She, if that time came there in that time, she could not come and anyone who would touch her then would become unclean. She would become almost like a person non grata. Here she is with her child, but no one else can approach her. So in this case, we have to recognize that what is this showing here, just as circumcision shows the male and reminds the male that he's unclean, a woman through giving birth was unclean. God goes on to state that after her days of purification are finished, those 33, those 40 days, or 33 days, she is to present herself before the priest and to make an offering. In this act of obedience, atonement is made for her. She need to be atoned for the sins, for her uncleanness. <laughs> and like circumcision for males, it serves as a sign and a symbol of their sinfulness and their need for cleaning, cleansing, for cleaning. Again, it was a way to remind them of their sinfulness and not only the sinfulness, but also the holiness of God. You and I must remember from our study in Leviticus 18 months ago, if you do, is that these purification laws were a temporary solution in God's redemption plan. John MacArthur notes that God used the tangible issues of life. Remember what they could eat, what they could drink, what they could touch, where they could lay down, their houses, all these things that would make it clean or unclean. He said that it was to repeatedly to impress upon Israel the difference between what was holy and what was unholy. Clean, to be clean means to be acceptable to God, whereas unclean meant unacceptable. So a woman after giving birth would be unacceptable unclean before God. Now, the purpose of these purity rituals, as we look here on the monitor in Leviticus 15, 31, he tells us why these are here. Yahweh says, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. So the purity laws were to protect them from God's wrath. Remember as, G, as, as Moses went up to the mountain, remember Mount Sinai, to get, the, uh, to get the tablets? They were not allowed to go and touch the mountain because it was holy. It was holy ground. Do not touch it lest you die. You and I have to recognize this. Is that we, as we are born in sin, you and I cannot approach a holy God. To approach God is to receive the, the very wrath of God. This is what is being demonstrated here 40 days after Jesus was born in the naming, the circumcision, and the purification of Mary. This purity law defines how one can approach a holy God in worship 
and in service. Yet the purity laws and rituals, you and I must understand, were temporary and imperfect. You see, these purity laws could not, were limited to the children of Israel. If you were not a Jew, they did not, uh, uh, they did not, uh, um, they weren't for you. It could not cleanse the conscience. It could not take, make the heart clean from all the impurity and uncleanness that was in one's heart and one's mind. But also it led to a works righteousness where you trusted in yourself. Remember the rich young man comes to Jesus. How can I be saved? Jesus says, we'll do the commandments. He says, I have done all these. Well, then sell all you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. What did the man do? And he went away sad. Again, you can only imagine that these burdens, these regulations that were put on the Israelites and the Gentiles readers of Luke would be brought back. And remember, even Mary and Joseph are having to go through these burdensome regulations of uncleanness and clean. Didn't Christ come to do away with all that? They had to watch everything they had to eat, they, what they touched and they dealt with in the ordinary parts of life that you and I just take for granted. To become unclean would be an almost constant required separation from your family and friends. To go outside of the camp or the city for a predetermined time and then to present yourself before a priest to prove your cleanliness. This was their life day after day after day. However, you and I must recognize as Luke is pointing us to these purity laws here in this passage. These purity laws were temporary and pointed to something much greater. Anyone want to guess? It's the Sunday school answer. You've been waiting to shout from day one. Jesus, thank you. I was afraid someone was going to say something much different. One theologian notes, look at this. We looked at this in Leviticus, but I want to bring this quote back from the, from a long ago message. Look at what he says here. Leviticus causes us, look at this, to long for one who by his touch will make all things clean. One who will be able and willing to approach God in worship. You know, I'm going to give you a little little uh, preview of that movie, The Chosen, as I talk about the TV show. There's one scene in which it's the, it's the uh, leopard, and he's being put out by everyone. And all of a sudden he comes down the road, and here comes Jesus. And Don and I are sitting there because we know what's going to happen. Unclean, unclean. His disciples are freaking out, right? Is that a theological term? I think so. I think there's, there's a term I'm sure called freaking out in Greek. But they're freaking out. Oh, he's unclean. Don't touch him. Touch him. And one of the most powerful portions of Scripture is when Jesus walks up to this leopard, the one who is unclean. And what does he do? He touches him. Jesus touches those who are unclean. He touches the untouchable. What a powerful scene. I might have had a few moments there where I might have been not able to talk in a very, very strong form for voice. But this is what it's showing us. is Leviticus, it causes us to long for one who by his touch makes us able to approach a holy God. Now what is wonderful about this scene in the temple now listen to this. What is wonderful about this scene in the temple that Luke is writing, this beautiful word picture, is that Mary is actually holding the visible expression of an invisible God. 
The one who will do away with the sin and cleanse her permanently and completely. It's that little boy in her hands. In 30 short years, her son will break down the the walls, uh, the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the laws of the commandments that were expressed in the ordinance. In her hands was the one who can make her clean. This is what Luke is expressing in this passage. This is no longer in 33 years. This will be obsolete. This little baby will make you clean. Amen? This truth is expressed in the song, Mary, Did You Know? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Until that wonderful day, Mary and Joseph faithfully obey Yahweh's command. Now also as a side note, and I don't have much time for this, this shows that Mary herself was not sinless, as many would teach. She herself needed to be cleansed from her impurities. It also informs us that Mary and Joseph, it's just a side note, were not wealthy, as they did not offer the lamb, but they offered what the poor was required, a turtle, two turtle doves or two pigeons. It was the lesser sacrifice. Fourthly, let me go on. The presentation now, as we come to the presentation of the baby, what does that mean for you and I? What is we, look at what's the purpose of that? Well, it demonstrates their commitment to God's calling plan and the purpose for their child. The Mosaic law continues to declare that the firstborn was to be redeemed and offered to Yahweh. Moses writes in Exodus 13 that the Lord said, Consecrate to me all who are the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and beast, it says, is mine. He goes on to state, When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and he shall give it to you, you shall set apart all that the Lord first opens up the womb. And the purpose of this command as we find is in, 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 is in Exodus 13. He says, when the time comes and your sons ask you, why are you redeeming the first one? You shall say, though, so, because, so it may they remind him that by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt from the land and house of slavery. The redemption of Jesus was something that was to remind them that God, Yahweh, saves. Yahweh hears. Yahweh cares. He delivers. Not only were they to be consecrated or committed to the Lord, but there was also a price of redemption, is that they were to pay a price. Now, Luke doesn't share with us that they paid the, that five shekels, but at the same time, they would have to pay a price for Jesus. This was to, to redeem him from the Levite ministry. This is what every child did to redeem them. Again, it's given us a picture that we need to be redeemed. Now, Jesus will be the one who will pay that price eventually. But what we see here. That in the parallel passages of John the Baptist and Jesus' birth, Luke has painted a picture that that's similar to Hannah in 1 Samuel. If you have not read about that, take a time read, just read 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's a great story of, of Hannah who, desiring of a child, has not had one. She just cries out to the Lord to give her one. God gives her a baby. She keeps him for about two, three years. And after he's weaned, she takes him back to the tabernacle gives him to Eli and says, let him serve the Lord. What you're seeing here is a giving back. Now we do that similar here today when we do baby dedications. We don't do baby baptisms, but we do baby dedications. And what that is, is that's to symbolize that you and I recognize that this child belongs to God. 
and we are giving them back that they may be used of God in a mighty way. She's given her son back to God so that he might serve him. What we understand here is that this is a great part of God's redemption plan. Now, as you and I read this passage, Luke wants his Gentile readers to have certainty about the life of Christ, the things they have heard. In Mary and Joseph's faithful obedience, we see a wonderful picture of God's grace, his mercy, his great love towards his children. And as you look here at the monitor, I want to give you just a sentence here to understand. Is that this baby, this baby, the one that they gave birth to, will one day purify us. He will make us clean and he'll make us able to approach Yahweh in worship and service. No longer do we have to present ourselves for the priest. No longer do we have to do these rituals that are burdensome and and, and seem strange. We have one who has cured us or cleaned us. One who has purified us. This alone should encourage and enliven us to cause us to worship God as the one who loves us. You and I must understand that this child is the one who makes us right before a holy God. No longer do we have any type of dividing wall of hostility between us and the promises of God. No longer do we have to follow the letter of the Mosaic law with all of its regulations and rules to approach God in worship and service. You and I here today, as we take communion, and as we're here today singing and praying and even giving and listening to God's word, we have shown that that baby has done something miraculous and unique. He has made us able to worship this morning. This baby has accomplished all that is required for you and I to be reconciled to a holy God. With that in mind, let me close up with this. You and I must be reminded, this is what Luke 2, 21 through 24 does. It should remind us, as James tells us, that we have been given grace to draw near to God. He says that God gives more grace. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. He says, come and draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You and I, we can cleanse our hands and purify our hearts through a faith that God has given us. And because of the great faith, our trust in this baby, not in a lamb, not in turtle doves, not in pigeons, not in the words and the motions of a priest, but you and I now know that we have been given a great faith that gives us as his children to encourage us in Hebrews chapter 10 to have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain. He goes on to say, the writers of Hebrews, that through Jesus' flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, it says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. For our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Because of that, because of this baby child, let us hold fast the confession of our faith and our hope without wavering. For he who promised it is faithful. This points us back to what Christ has accomplished in his flesh and his obedience to the Father. And this did not only happen because Christ has fulfilled the law. The writer of Hebrews would go on to explain that since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, that these sacrifices that continue offered year by year are no longer 
But this little baby, this Christ, the Son of God, has made all things perfect to those who draw near to him. So with that, I'd like to close with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. It may seem strange that four events far from us, far removed, and so different from our customs would give us that type of grace and that type of comfort. But it's written here for our benefit that we may be reminded that Christ has fulfilled what God has required. With every head bowed and every head closed as the worship team comes up, I just want you to take a moment just to reflect, to pause, to consider these words. Are you still trying to work your way to heaven? Trying to please God in your own self and in your own works? Can't be done. It's only through what Christ has done. We no longer have to purify ourselves through ceremony and circumstance, but just in a trust in one who has made us clean. Would you pray and ask God to just continue to let this word dwell in you this week as you consider it, as you think about it, and maybe share with others that you may respond to the Holy Spirit's call to trust in that child. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for these events found here in Luke. And Father, as we read it, let us see it with a new light. And seeing that Christ has accomplished something so wonderful, Lord, that he has made us able to approach you in worship. And may you find our worship pleasing because what Christ has done for us. We thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.